Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to This Being Human. I'm your host, Abdurrahman Malik. On this podcast, I talk to extraordinary people from all over the world whose life, ideas, and art are shaped by Muslim culture. What I have seen for the last, I would say, 15 years is definitely a different mood of so many artists coming up from the continent of Africa, Caribbean, South America, African American. I think now this younger generation woken up to their culture. They've seen the value what they're coming from, what they didn't value before. Once you've seen Hassan Hajjaj's photography, there's no mistaking it. For the rest of your life, you will definitely know when you're looking at one of his pieces. Subjects are dressed in explosive colors inspired by traditional North African fashion, but with a decidedly modern flair. Their poses are reminiscent of hip-hop album art. The background might be a street scene in Morocco or a colorful straw rug. Either way, the edges of the photo are lined with images of everyday products, cans of harissa paste or soda pop, repeated in a pop art style. One of his most famous series, Cash Angels, depicts biker women in Morocco. He also has done iconic magazine shoots, including a Vogue cover shoot with pop star Billie Eilish and album covers for creatives like Riz Ahmed. Even as Hassan became a major figure in African photography, he sits between many cultures having been raised between London and Marrakesh. His work has inspired a younger generation of artists and has inevitably created imitators. No doubt, that's the best form of flattery. I got Hassan Hajjaj on the phone while he was at his shop in London, so you'll hear some of the hustle bustle of a busy day in the background. You know, Hassan, you recently told GQ that for a long time you didn't think of yourself as an artist. And I find that so hard to believe almost because everything about your work cries out art and creativity. What was it that prevented you from thinking about yourself as an artist? I think that happened at the beginning of my career. You know, when I started, you know, I never studied art. I had lots of friends of mine who were artists around me that actually studied art and, you know, they, that's what they were trying to do for a living. And then I think the passion of just taking pictures, this was sort of just, you know, felt something within myself about photography. So I took pictures for many years without showing the work to anybody. I didn't think of it being art or anything like that. And I think when I started showing the first body of work called Graphics from the Souk, you know, that body of work, uh, I wanted to share it with my friends that I grew up with in London that were from different cultures because in the 80s, you know, when you say 
song to your friend where you're from, say Jamaica, you say Bob Marley, Rice and Peas, and it's like Brazil, Samba, Pele, and on and on, on. When he got to me, he said Morocco, it was like Hashis, the Sahara, Camel, Dates, Dajin, and that kind of stuff. So it's very caricature. So I wanted to do this body of work called Graphics from the Souk, which was all about Arabic products with a kind of salon kind of a you know space that you can sit in listen to the music really get like that kind of 100 percent cultural thing in the contemporary way so when i did this i really didn't think of it as being art and then as i started showing it in galleries the first you know few times they would introduce me as their artist to their collectors or press and i always am turning around saying to the person that i'm not an artist <laughs> and this the reason because of this is because i wasn't too sure where it was going, what I had inside me. So I didn't want to say that word until I, I knew I could prove it to myself to be able to carry that name. And that took about probably a couple of years before I got comfortable of saying, you know, this is what I'm doing as an artist. So I really was, you know, a sort of a, a journey for it to get that name. And I think the best part and the favourite part is when you have occupation and you sign artists. That was, uh, you know, the moment. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did you start taking photographs? Is it something that you started as a young person in your teens or in your in your childhood? Uh, yeah, probably like mid-80s, you know, just camera, take pictures of friends. And, you know, I wasn't really sure what I was doing, to be honest with you. But also I was a big magazine and, and I loved photography. I think that was my schooling, just looking at magazines and books and stuff like that. And without realising you're studying you know, about images and stuff like that. And at the same time, I'm not really a technical photographer, more about an image, you know. Mm. Uh, I got taught by a friend to use it because I was using film. I just learned to use it on a basic way. But for me, it was all, all, always about the image. What can the image say? So really, it was kind of a journey. And I think with the photography, I would probably start in the 80s. It was Polaroid, it was film. And then I think mid-90s, I was just shooting so much until, you know, I met a curator, Rose Issa, who was very important in my career because she was a big creator for Arab artists. So I knew her and I just asked her if she could look at my work to see what she thinks or what, if I had anything in there. And um, I remember walking to her house with a plastic bag full of negs and, uh, you know, contact <laughs> sheets. And she looks at them, she goes, well, Hassan, you have about five years worth of shows there. She goes, if you want, you can stop, we can do shows. And I was like, we? <laughs> She, you know, that was like a moment that she wanted to work, you know, help me out and work with me and introduce me to the art world. And that was a good thing she said to me because once I came out of her house, I thought, well, if she said we've got five years worth of work, let me go and carry on, you know, really working and trying to have like 10, 15 years worth of uh, of shows. And that's what I did. You know, I just went because I had that passion at that time and stuff like that. And sometimes when you have this, you, you have to follow it all the way, well, it's hot, as they say. I love seeing the world through your eyes, Hassan. I love it. Thank you. And it's so <laughs> distinctive. And I have to ask, did you kind of grow up in a creative family? I'm like, what did your parents and those around you and think of your passion? Not at all. You know, my parents actually come from a village. You know, they came from, they couldn't even read or write. They're very shabby, you know. So I don't know how you would pronounce that in the English. <laughs> so there was nothing to do with artistic. But I think at the same time, growing up in Morocco in my early stage, there was things that you have to create for, you know, in season you might do flying kites that you have to make yourself. You might pick up shells in um, on the beach and then that we used to have an army barracks the way they used to practice. So we used to get like dead bullets and make them into necklaces. You know, we had like... Um, Games, summer games using tops of bottles, you know, things like that. So without realising that was there, but 
not thinking as creative, just something that was happening, you know, usage and something that as a kid you might do. And I think, you know, when I got a teenager, then I had mainly creative people around me from everything, from music, DJs, designers, photographers, and on and on. And this was really my schooling, in a sense, to have these people around me as well. Because of this creative environment, it made perfect sense to just try stuff out and incorporate everything around him, even if he didn't have any plans about where it was going. I was an assistant stylist for fashion, like catwalk shows and a couple of magazines. A friend of mine was doing music videos, so I worked behind the scene doing all sorts of stuff. I was running underground parties, putting DJs on, dressing up the papers was illegal, you know, <laughs> trying to kind of design my own way for the brand. So this was like my university. So when I started in the pictures, this came into my photographs without realising it, it just seemed natural. So I was like, oh yeah, I have an idea. I'm going to go and dress up five girls with this. I'll go and buy the textile and, you know, have it made and take the picture and then frame it. If you don't work in the art world, there's a good chance you don't think a lot about the frame that a picture sits in. But the frame is a huge part of what makes Hassan's style so recognizable. His pictures are surrounded by images of food products, Coke and Fanta cans, or cans of tomatoes or tins of Spam, repeated in patterns that make them look beautiful. That really came from my early work. My early work, graphics from the soup, was all about Arabic products that I shot and then I played with Photoshop. And then I actually printed them on canvas. They looked like a, between the photograph and painting. But I also had a setting called La Salon, which was using Coca-Cola crates, road signs. So it was literally like a street language in that kind of way, but still giving it that kind of North African, Arabic, whatever you want to call it, style. As I was doing this, also I was coming from a culture that we um, grew up on counterfeit. And um, without realising, this also came into my work. So it wasn't something I went out in my way. It was just like, okay, if I know if I put a woman with the Louis Vuitton veil, it would get looked at differently than having a black veil. How would that be read? So these points were already embedded in me and just came out natural. And as, as I started showing my photography, I wanted to bridge my early work called graphic from the souk into the photography. And then instead of having it printed on canvas, I wanted to actually use the products around the frame. So I thought this will definitely give it a contemporary look. Also, I didn't want just to have the print. I wanted the frame to be part of the artwork. And the reason of this also, when I looked at the museums and you look at all these beautiful paintings from you know centuries ago, you see them they always have this gold frame that was made for that painting and it's still on the same painting now so that's part of the painting i don't think somebody buys it going to take the frame and put another frame that becomes with it there's also a sort of universal language to those products a coke can is recognizable around the world even if the text on it is in arabic and sadly enough, sometimes people see the product before they see the picture, you know. Uh, I've had it so many times, oh, look, Coca-Cola or Louis Vuitton. So with all this, I found they had the strength in the work that it can communicate to a kid, black, white, old, young. It didn't have any barriers. And for me, that was important as somebody coming from uh, not being from the art world and somebody who was scared to go to the gallery and hate going to the museum, to have people like myself hopefully see something and like something about the work. Even if they have a debate, it's even good. So that was really the process. And I think with all that, 
it became like a style, like we said. I love the idea how you turn to like these sort of ersatz fashion and down market items and you make them into something that's high fashion, something that is yes. like super edgy, contemporary and alive. But I have to ask you about one thing. Yeah. In your recent exhibition in New York, you featured these three models wearing these floral jalabias, these beautiful robes, but they seem to be made out of those velour blankets that I see aunties and uncles carrying home from their trips to Dubai. In fact, in our family, they're called like Dubai blankets. And I was like, Hassan's messing with me, man. Hassan's messing with me. Tell me about that because I, I, I noticed it right away. I'm like, there's the Dubai blankets. He's turned the Dubai blankets into fashion. <laughs> so basically, I live by Camden Lock Market. I have the shop by Brick Lane Market and I live in the Medina of Marrakesh <laughs> in the market. So when I decided, uh, you know, to kind of call myself the artist or what they want me to do, and so I wanted to do something, making something out of nothing, as cheap as possible. Obviously, I didn't have the money to make something grand. So the blanket, it's exactly that. We said it speaks volume because it gets used. We'll all have them in what's so-called the third world. Everywhere you have them. So for me, they're beautiful. The patterns are quite sort of out there. And so I decided to make a whole range and shoot with them and make them also look in the picture that they could look like from an expensive brand in a sense. I love it. And it was such an ubiquitous item, but it's kind of like... If you know, you know, isn't it? And I think that's the interesting thing about your work, Hassan, among the many interesting things, is that your work explores identity, of course, globalization. But I actually feel, Hassan, that you're taking us to the other side of those conversations. I mean, I almost feel like, is this generation interested in a discussion of identity because they're already so comfortable being in four places at the same time, just like you are. I wonder how these questions of identity fit into your work now. Well, I think you said it all. I think it was definitely what's around me, and that's what I grew up with. And also, I always look at I'm trying to present another side of people that don't get looked into that will understand it. That's more important to me than having a big curator going, wow, this is nice or whatever. Because it's about the people, you know, my pictures are about people. It's about a type of people, you know, the uh, sometimes they do not have, sometimes, the, you know, the ones that strive and sometimes they have something unique about them, but not mainstream. So this is really like what you said, you understood it. And maybe you're going to be one out of a thousand that understood the blankets. And for me, that's great because it means I can communicate with you. We're on the same, you know, let's say wavelength in the sense. I mean, as an artist, I guess you're always speaking and communicating. And it's in a way, it's like, this is it, right? The photography, these beautiful images are the medium through which we're having a conversation. And I think there's so many fascinating conversations that you invite us into through your photography. And of course, we can't but talk about Cash Angels, which which featured these incredible women bikers. It's among your most iconic work, and it's among the images that people reference when they speak about you. I've always wondered, who are the Kesh Angels? (laughs) Tell us about the process of producing this series of now iconic photographs. So uh, Kesh Angels, I started shooting in the 90s. Kesh Angels, short for Marrakesh Angels. Again, playing with the big brands and big names, I took, um, uh, what do you call it, um, Hells Angels. The Hells Angels, right. <laughs> so I put Cash Angels. 
And basically, you know, in, I live in Marrakesh and everybody uses scooters, bikes, you know, motorbikes because of the Medina, the layout of the city. I have one myself. And everybody uses them, like young, old, you know, traditional, contemporary. So really, I just sort of found it fascinating to see all these women with the vows driving the bikes. Because I knew in that in Europe, they would see this as uncomfort or it's unreal. So really, studied the body language, how they would sit on them, how they would ride them and stuff like that. And now we kind of stage them with some of my outfits and sometimes their outfits and played on this so to kind of give it like a cinematic image. So it seemed to connect and it seemed made, uh, you know, like, you know, sometimes I suppose an artist has a moment of a certain body of work that becomes popular and then the rest of the work. And I think Cash Angel definitely did this. You know, as you're speaking, Hassan, I kind of think to myself, this is what sets you apart. Your subjects are as alive as your sets. Your sets are important and as alive as your subjects. When you're conceptualizing a project, do you start with the subject and build from there? Or do you kind of look at the context and say, I know, I I can see what might belong there? It's definitely normally to do with the person most of the time. You know, it's about the only the person because they, they're the ones that are going to bring it to the table at the end of the day. All the rest is me dressing them up and, you know, trying to make them stand out in a unique way. But normally it could be a person. That's the most thing. But then sometimes it could be textile. I could see something. I'm like, oh, God, if I buy this, I can design something for this, he or she or they. You know, so it comes... As I start to understand what I'm doing, because I said earlier in my conversation, it took me a while to question myself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do after my first solo show? What am I trying to say? And I kept it really as real as possible to keep it around me, in the markets, people that I'm with. And as you know, as the work gets popular, you start to meet new people. They want to have pictures taken and stuff like that. But really, I would say it's people, because at the end of the day, you have to trust for them to be sitting in front of the camera and have that energy coming out of them. I have a feeling that you are a consummate collector of cool, quirky, unusual, and odd things. I imagine that in the back of your shop right now, yes, exactly, we're talking to you in your shop, that you have a secret vault of all kinds of unusual, weird, cool stuff, and you're just waiting to use it, are you? Yes, I wish, I mean, I wish I can show you. So, you know, as I sort of along my early part of, you know, doing art, I just started to really make design and collect stuff. So when somebody comes, I can feel their vibe and pull out something that's already. And then sometimes, uh, you know, like today, there's a kid I really want to shoot. His name is a young art kid, Sloan, that's doing amazing stuff here, different. And I've been dying to shoot him. And he came today, had a meeting with him. So today I said, look, you're a painter. Here's some outfits, go and paint on them. Here's some backdrops, go and paint on them. And we'll shoot on Saturday. So, you know, it's like, it depends who it is. So, you know, sometimes I can make something for somebody specifically. But let's say it's like a painter. You have to have your oils, you know, in the studio all time and your canvases. So obviously I have to have all these bits for myself as well. Hassan, you talked about being that young, you know, young photographer with the carrier bag of negatives and contact sheet walking 
into a curator's home and saying, hey, this is what I've been doing and being told that there's some incredible work here. Fast forward to the Hassan Hajjaj who's asked to do the photo shoot for Billie Eilish for Vogue. And you see these images and you stage these images for the most iconic and important publications, you know, in fashion, in design, in art, in the world. How do you, how do you make sense of that? Well, you know, it's uh, sometimes, you know, like asking me this, I still sometimes think, did that really happen? I mean, before getting to people like Billie Eilish or any, you know, these celebrities, I shot, I'd say, you know, for them to approach me or their team was really, I suppose, the work I did, you know, all the people that been in my pictures that gave that vibe for them to take notice and want to be part of this. So with that, the people I shot, I don't want the celebrities to overshadow all that 30 years worth of shoots. But, you know, it was a surprise call and it was like so fast. It's like, you know, we need to shoot like next week, Saturday, and I had to come to London on Saturday morning from Dubai, pack up my stuff and then go back to the airport Sunday evening or whatever day it was and then fly the same day, get there and all of a sudden you got all these kind of things. I mean, you know, sort of I always say to myself, anything like this happened, she's a human, don't look at her. You know, she's already been probably having pictures taken by hundreds or thousands of photographers. So she's already used to this. So just keep it real and just being, you know, as normal with her as like the friends I, I shoot. So that was amazing. I mean, for me, that was good questioning why I was going to do it, why I didn't want to do it. And also it was good, I think, you know, to have somebody like Vogue and have the cover. It's good for somebody from my background, have to open up other doors. So I had to look at it in different ways, you know, in a good way that could happen. So it was a, a nice moment. Yeah, sort of very bizarre, but it was a nice moment. I love the moniker that some people give you, you know, the hip hop swagger photographer. And so it begs the question, what is the music that moves you? What's on Hassan's playlist right now? Well, uh, <laughs> well today I've been listening to Orchestra Bell Bell and Dennis Brown and Omo Songari. That's today's <laughs> list. That is a perfect trifecta. That is a perfect trifecta. A bit great in London, a little bit somber, <laughs> so it was the mood of today. To be honest with you, I think, you know, it's like the older you get, your palate changes. It's like, you know, like food, music, films and stuff like that. Like life, you know, you have a bit more experiences and you know, lots of things uh, along the way, you know, in your life. And for me, really, I listen to all types of music, you know, as long as it touches me, it doesn't matter if it's Indian, whatever. But, you know, music was part of my photography in the sense, even when I was using film, I would click my camera with the beat of the music, you know, mm. without realising. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, because now digital is different, you know, digital has a delay, but with the film, I was moving with the beat of music. Wow. Because I suppose most of these, I'm just, I suppose a bit caricature. Most artists will have music when they paint or, you know, whatever. I don't want to be one of those, but I definitely have that. <laughs> and it's something because, you know, I grew up lots of musicians around me. I sort of put on quite a lot of live bands in the 80s. I, you know, I used to do parties for 11 years. So I went from like, you know, dub, drum and bass, reggae, soul, funk, you know, the all different eras, house, garage, all that, you know. 
And then, you know, listening at home, you know, jazz, listening to, you know, growing up in Morocco, Arabic music and Egyptian music. So it's hard to see. It just goes with the mood. It really does go with the mood. And I like, I suppose, earthy music, if it's that meant to be, you know. As you speak about your work, Hassan, there's a real feeling and a sense of generosity. You're someone who clearly cares. You care about the people that you're working with, but also care about the collaborators and the makers and and the places that you work in. And you've become part of a kind of um, remarkable global community of photographers who are, who are challenging convention, who are sort of, you know, fast forwarding beyond identity, who are shaping, I think, a visual discourse. And the Tate Modern is running an incredible show currently of photographers from Africa, of which you are, of course, one of them, also alongside, you know, incredible folks like Aida Moulané, who we've had the honor of interviewing on this podcast. Which African artists or other photographers are exciting you these days? Who's kind of feeding your soul out there in the field? I mean, what I'm seeing, I, mean, I can't give you exact names, but what I have seen for the last, I would say, 15 years is a whole, definitely a different mood of so many artists coming up from the continent of Africa, Caribbean, South America, uh, African American. So there's... First speak just about Morocco, you know, there's the photography, there's like, I don't know what happened in the last 15 years, there's so many great photographers. You know, I actually did a project called Mikaza Sukaza in 2016, and I decided to show, I think it was 20 photographers, Moroccan photographers, male and female, that became, I showed it in, uh, in the space I had, then I showed it in the museum, then New York. So there's Ishmael Zaidi, for example. There's Urias, uh, who's like you know massive like from Morocco. There's Red, another kid. I'm doing his solo show in Morocco for 154. I mean, there's you know what's his name, Omar, Afghanistan. I mean, there's there's so many, you know. And I think what's happened. I think now this younger generation woken up to their culture. They've seen the value what they're coming from, what they didn't value before. It's sometimes it takes somebody from outside, like from the West, to come and value something that might look very simple to them that they live with, but they highlight as a piece of art. So there's like a bit of an awakening, and this is great. And I think also it's great because they have their own, this new generation not waiting for a commercial gallery. They have these platforms like Instagram, and you know, where they can share their work, they can get work from there. So it's really exciting to see this, you know, because I'm coming from the other side of just, you know, showing in the gallery for a month, 200 people come, there's only 200 people seeing your work. Now if you show in the gallery, you know, you can have 100 people come in and one click of a camera could be shared to, you know, 1,000 or 100,000 people. So the game's changed and the younger kids are more self-efficient because they have everything in front of them and, and sort of doing it themselves, like, you know, almost uh, taking care. And this is, for me, this is exciting. Do you see yourself as the OG teacher now? <laughs> uh, well, I'm just an old school. I'm I'm the old model, you know. I'm like I'm I'm sort of film partly digital, where they're totally digital. <laughs> some some are using film. Oh, you know, we're going back to analog. I, I collect vinyls now. You know, it's we we thought we got all that up, but there's an art to that. There's an art, and there's a there's an aesthetic to that stuff. That's just that's enduring and actually really powerful. You know, things change. You have to change with it and accept because if not, you're going to be that old fart, as they say. <laughs> and also it's great to have young people around because I love working with them because you learn from them and understand where they're coming from. Hopefully they can get something from you as well. And I've always looked at it that way. 
Hassan, I wonder if you could tell me about a joy or a meanness that recently came to you as an unexpected visitor. No, just today. I think today was a funny day because, as I said earlier on, I said it, I had this young kid called Sloan who's like, he's a young painter, Nigerian. We spoke about doing a shoot a while back and we are trying to happen, make it this weekend. He just happened to be in the neighborhood early on. And I just sent a message saying, all right, are we on for this weekend? He said, yes. I said, listen, I have an idea. Can I give you some backdrops and some outfits? You can paint your paintings on them so I can have you with your paintings, you know, like in your painting in a sense. He said, yeah, uh, he goes, uh, yeah, definitely. And I said, well, listen, how can I get the stuff to you? He goes, well, where are you? I said, I'm just in Calvert Avenue, East London. He goes, I'm five minutes away, we'll be there. So he came, we just vibed. So today I would say, I can't think about the other days, but today would be probably a good day in that kind of way. May you always have continued success and may your work continue to inspire and animate the world in the way that only you can. It's been such a pleasure having you on This Being Human. Thank you, Alfred. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to This Being Human. You can find links to Hassan Hajjaj's work in the show notes. This Being Human is produced by Antica Productions in partnership with TVO. Our senior producer is Kevin Sexton. Our associate producer is Emily Morantz. Our executive producers are Laura Regeer and Stuart Cox. Mixing and sound design by Phil Wilson. Our associate audio editor is Cameron McIver. Original music by Boombox Sound. Shagoyek Tajvidi is TVO's managing editor of digital video and podcasts. Lori Few is the executive for digital at TVO. This Being Human is generously supported by the Aga Khan Museum. Through the arts, the Aga Khan Museum sparks wonder, curiosity, and understanding of Muslim cultures and their connection with other cultures. The museum wishes to thank the Hillary and Galen Weston Foundation for their generous support of This Being Human.